Welcome to the Refuge Weekly Podcast. We are a church in and for the city of Orange in Southern California. The heart of Refuge OC is to introduce and reintroduce people to a clearer vision of God. To learn more about us and how you can get involved, please visit us at refugeoc.com. And now, here is our latest message. Yes, you can notice on my, uh, my stand here, it's a two-Bible kind of Sunday, so just get ready. Um, speaking of Bibles, if you have one, whether you have a digital app or something with you, I would love for you to turn to the book of 1 John, which is all the way at the end of the New Testament. 1 John chapter 4 is where we'll be at, and specifically the verses 7 through 21. And so if you turn to 1 John, you will be um, ready to go with us today. I want to tell a couple of stories today. One is about there's a family member in my family who decided to get vaccinated this week, but more about that later. Then I want to tell you a story about a wedding. But before we get there, I want to dive into some scriptures together. And even before we go there, I want to put a phrase up on the screen because it includes a blank. And I wonder if you might be able to fill the blank in. And this is a rhetorical question. We're not really asking for you to shout it out. But it is the phrase, God is. I wonder what it is that you would put after that. Because some people would say, ah, God is good. God is amazing. God is creative. God is lovely. He is awesome. But then, for some of us, and perhaps even at certain times of our lives, we would fill that phrase in differently. We would say things like, God is God's mean. God's aloof. God is distant. God is silent. God is forgetful. God loves everyone else but me. So I don't even know where you are at today. I don't know how you would fill that phrase in. But I want this phrase to hang with us today as we dive into some scriptures from the New Testament all the way almost to the end of the New Testament and hopefully get a sense of where we're going today. All right, so you got 1 John up. Chapter 4, beginning in verse 7 through 21. And I'll be real honest with you. I'm going to read from the New International Version which I do most Sundays. But however, I do not like how they translate one word. And I'll tell you that after we read. Because some of you might even have your Greek out, and then you'll really take me to task. It's going to be good. All right, here we go. Verse 7 begins, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them, and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love of God for us. 
God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. There's a lot there. This is one of those passages that has a lot of quotables. Perhaps it even seems some familiar territory. You've heard certain versions of this, or perhaps even certain verses at times have come up for you. Uh, you know, Nikki mentioned Mother's Day this next week, and I don't know if you got your mother something or that person in your life who's a mom. Um, but Rachel, my wife, who's a mother to our kids, is next door teaching, and so she's not here to listen to this, and she may not even listen or watch the recording later, and that's okay. We don't judge her on that all the time. Um, but I got her something, and it came this week. And it, there's a piece of glass that came with it, and the box showed up this week, and it was marked fragile. You've seen these boxes before, and sometimes you wonder if the delivery person cares. And I haven't even opened it yet. I need to open it today to make sure everything's good, but it's like fragile, handle with care. And I feel like that should be the phrase that we attach to this section of Scripture. Fragile handle with care. Don't just open it up, read it, like check it off the box and then move on with your day. Because there's so much going on in this passage. Now, about that Greek word that I don't really like how they translated it. And you, you Bible scholars are a lot smarter than I am. And the ones who, who have the task of translation have done their due diligence and I don't know if you've ever been to another country where you've had to use another language at times, or perhaps you've gotten by with Google Translate, and sometimes Google Translate will get the job done, and sometimes it just falls flat. Because you can, you can translate word for word, but sometimes you know how when conjugation is involved in sentence structure, and where do you place the verb in that language versus how do we place the ver verb in, in English, and the adjectives, and the subjects, and all that kind of stuff. And right now, some of you are like, it's not school, move on. I get it. But sometimes it's hard, and I, I want to I give deference to the person who's done the translation. And the NIV is, is a pretty, pretty reliable translation. But there's this phrase, this word that gets used a couple times, and I think they do it wrong. And here's why. If you, we were to sum up, uh, this passage of Scripture is about what? And my guess is that some of you would like, ah, I think the word we heard the most in this passage is love. So you're like, okay, you're on to something. Love is it. Well, in the Greek, it's actually this phrase called agape. Whether I'm pronouncing it correctly or not, and if you're a Bible scholar, you can take me to task after church. One time, I decided to use a word that was in Latin, like months ago, and I mispronounced it because there was someone in this church whose name is my father. He's like, you pronounced that wrong. And I was like, thanks, Dad. Ah, anyways, beyond that, agape, this Greek word that means love. And the Christians, the early Christians who decided to use that word in these early texts, it was not one of those words that everyone used. Now, English has its limitations. We have the word love 
But the problem with our version of the word love is that we attach it to everything. Like I will say in a couple weeks on my anniversary to my wife, I love you. And some of you are like, you should probably say that more than just in a couple weeks. I know, I will. But we get it, right? I love you or I love someone. I don't know where it is you've expressed this, but somewhere down the line, you have also said things like, I love tacos. And you're like, are they the same thing? Is it, is it asking of me the same? If I were to say, I love my wife and I also love tacos, is it the same version of love? And of course not, because our, our version of the word in English is so limited. And in other languages, there are perhaps other words to describe what we're trying to get at. And so the writer here, John, uses this word agape for the early Christians in their early context, they kind of used this word that was not super well used, and they made it work for what they were trying to admit. And this word agape meant the kind of love that you would give if you were not looking for something in return, which is really helpful for us to get at. Because in our world, so much of what we do is often about what we get returns for. We hear phrases like there's a return on investment. Whatever I'm going to give into this relationship or perhaps this investment, literally, a, perhaps a, a financial investment, I'm hoping that I will get a return of some kind. But this agape love that John uses here is this love that I'm going to give with no hope of return. And so the word and the phrase that I don't like how they, they translate it in the NIV is right there at the beginning. If you go to verse 7, you can even put it back up on the screen real quick. It's the first two words, dear friends. And you're like, why are you so mad at that, Brinson? Because that is not the emphasis of the word agape. Because what John says, he actually uses a version of the word agape in this greeting to his, we can call them friends, but it's way more than that. He's actually adding some extra letters to the word agape because it's agape toy. And if I get it right, and I probably have butchered it, and my dad will talk to me later, and I get it. But the phrase is beloved. And he uses it a few times in this passage and in other portions of this letter that he's writing to these Christians. He's not just saying, hey, friends. He's actually saying, beloved. He's already pronouncing their value and their worth, even as he's about to talk about what we should do as Christians. And so when we reach back in time and we go into these early early manuscripts and writings from the New Testament, they're not just words for us to hang on the shelf and be like, that was really nice for church or my Bible study or perhaps for my morning devotions, and I'm going to do nothing with it. The reason we want to handle with care, much like that, that box that has glass in it, is because there's so much going on here that we can't miss. And when I, when I read through this passage, there's some, some big implications for people like you and me. So that's why I have two Bibles, is because this Bible, which is not the NIV, this is called the Revised Standard Version. It's a pretty healthy academic um, translation of the scripture. And the way that they say it is this, beloved, let us love one another. Doesn't that sound way better than dear friends? Like saying dear friends is like, yeah, you're wanting to be friendly, but that doesn't sound friendly at all. But when you say beloved, you're like, oh, there is, there is a care involved in the writer as he is writing to his friends that day. Okay, I told you about this family member that decided to get vaccinated. And vaccinations are all the rage these days. Everyone, not everyone's doing it. Um, but this family member who lives in my house decided they wanted to get vaccinated. So we had to have a conversation about it. And here's how it went. I said, Micah, 
you need to get vaccinated. And he said, why? And I said, because you're going to junior high. And he's like, what does that mean? I said, well, sixth grade and then seventh grade. He's like, no, 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 I know what that means, but what does vaccinations mean? Am I going to get the COVID vaccination? I said, no, 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 better than that. You're going to get two. It's amazing. A Tdap and something for meningitis. I don't know. They're just going to give you shots. And he's like petrified. We are having this conversation all week long. He has built it up in his mind. It was Wednesday of this past week. It was at 2.45. And we told him about five or six days before that that he was going to get this done. And he was not happy. So much so that he talked to every person he knows and decided to quiz them on their experiences with shots. So he would talk to his friends at school. And they are not a helpful group. Because they would say things like, it hurt for weeks. I couldn't even use my arm. And I'm like, who are these kids? It's not that bad. And so I did the fatherly thing. I said, it's going to feel like this. And I went over, and do not call anybody on me right now. I went over, and I just pinched his arm. Like, literally, where the shot's going to be, I just pinched it. He's like, ow. And I'm like, that's what it's going to be. He's like, I don't really believe you. He didn't say it, but I knew that was the thing. And so then he's talking to adults to see if they would tell them something, tell them something different. And some adults would be like, Mikey, you just have to like just hold your breath. And I'm like, that's bad because when you hold your breath, you're just like tense. Can't do that. So he, the night before, Tuesday night, like it's bedtime and he is stalling. And I can just tell. And I'm like, Micah, what's going on? He's like, man, I got shots tomorrow. And I'm like, who are you? This, are you an Eeyore right now? Like, come on. So he goes to bed finally, wakes up in the morning. He's like, oh, I got shots today. He's just he's petrified. So he goes through the whole day. I have to get him from school. We go over and the entire drive over. He's scared. So I'm trying to give him some advice and I can't yell at him can't say things like, you're just going to do it, and you're going to like it, right? Because I would bet many of us, we're not really going to raise our hand and be like, can't wait for the shot. Not those kind. Um, oh, tough crowd. Okay. Ah, I don't know. Okay. Anyway, back to the day um, with Micah. As we're driving over, I said, here's the deal, buddy. Um, they're probably going to choose one arm. You might be able to do one and one if you want, but if it was me... I would say just do one arm because then just one is, is out of commission. He's like, what does that mean? I'm like, well, it may hurt a little bit, maybe a little sore and tender. And he's like, well, which arm should I do? And I said, hey, again, if it was me, I would choose my non-dominant hand. Because then if I wanted to write something, I could use the hand that I used to write, and I'm not really bummed out. He's like, okay. And he's like, can I hold you? And I said, yes. I guarantee they will probably which is, doesn't make sense. He's like, guarantee they will probably um, let you hold me. I said, I will ask the nurse that if you can grip onto me and you can squeeze, but here's the deal, don't do it with the hand that you're going to get shot in. He's like, why? Well, if you tense up your muscles and then you get the shot, it's not going to feel great. You just got to relax and it's going to be fine. So we get into this thing and he's got to do a full um, physical because, you know, we were bad parents and haven't done the well child visit because he's like 12 now. You're like, wow, how'd you get that big? And so they're like, wow, you, it hasn't, it's been a while. And you're like, thanks for making me feel guilty. <laughs> so we're going to have to do a well-child visit on this 12-year-old man. And um, then he can get his shots. And he's like, what? 
I'm like, don't worry, they're going to take some vital signs, they're going to check you out. And so he does that whole thing, and he puts on the paper gown, which really makes him feel like a million bucks. And then they're like, all right, now it's time for shots, but you can put your clothes back on. So the nurse leaves the room, he puts his clothes back on, and he knows it's the time. He's got to muster up the courage. And so she comes back in, and it's a different nurse, which really throws him off. He's like, whoa, I thought I knew who it was. And it's like this other lady. And she comes in, and she could tell that he's petrified, and he's beginning to, like, breathe heavy. I don't know if you've been around these kind of people. He's breathing. He's like, I said, hey, buddy, one more thing. Just look at me. Don't look about what's about to happen. And, you know, no kid ever listens to that one. They're like, okay. Right? And she comes over, and she's like, oh, it's going to be fine. You won't even feel it. And he doesn't believe one thing that she's saying. But she pulls out the needle, does the thing, and just talks to Micah, just says some words, throws him off his game. And she goes, look, you're done with one. And she's pulling it out. And he's like, what? I didn't even feel it. And she's like, yeah, because it's not that bad. And then the second one comes, and he's like, oh, maybe this is the one. Maybe this is the 10-inch needle that they're going to finally get me with. Well, she just talks to him, throws him off his game. He's saying things. He's looking at me. And she's like, oh, look, we're done. And she's pulling the second needle out. And he's like, whoa, 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 whoa. That was way too easy. And I said, because you didn't trust me. You listened to your friends at school who are jerks at times and told you things that's not true. Why do I tell you this story? Because there's no part of what John said to his friends in that early part of the New Testament that had to do with doctor visits and shots. But the world is convinced that they know who God is, and they're wrong. Just like Michael was convinced about his shot experience that was about to happen, and he was wrong. So what do we do with that? If the world is filling in the blanks of God is, and they have all kinds of versions of that, what is our role and our responsibility? For some of us, it's like, oh, I got to get my friend who doesn't believe to get to church, and then they're going to have everything be figured out. The tough part with that is some people are so put off by the idea of coming to church either from past experience or from mistrust or whatever that they don't even want to step foot in church. I have a friend, and actually Sean mentioned it a couple weeks ago in his sermons. His name is Preston, and a, and a few years ago, he wanted to start a church in the city of Denver, but he wanted to do it differently. He didn't want to just, like, set up shop, you know, get the worship team fired up, pull out the scriptures, and just do it. He wanted his church to be really built around conversation. And so he created what's called the Doubters Club. And you can even follow this Instagram handle if you're interested. It's called the Doubters Club. And what they do from time to time is all they're trying to do is to remain in conversation with people for the long haul. Sometimes we show up and we just drop the Jesus bomb. We're like, I believe in Jesus. And you run. You're like, what's going to happen? And the world's like, I feel like I don't know who God is. And sometimes me, Brenton, the pastor of this church, thinks it's because we have not done a good job of telling the world what he's like. We've held signs up and we've told people that they're going to hell if they're involved in a particular activity. Like, 
there's this thing out there right now. I don't know if you've heard about it. It's making all the news. It's called cancel culture. And I remember hearing Pastor Sean say something in a, in a meeting I was in. He's like, cancel culture? Like, if you think about it, Christians have been the best at that for years. We've been canceling people left and right. Like, we draw the boundary line of like, hey, you got to believe this. And if you are ever outside the circle, then we will cancel you. There were like Christian groups that would like cancel Disneyland. Like that's an entire population of people that are never going to be like, ooh, tell me more. You just canceled the happiest place on earth. Right? Like if you think about it, in the grand scheme of things, the storyline that the world has been living with is God is a certain way, and it's not the things that we talk about in church. We say things like God is good and God is amazing and he's just and righteous. And even from this passage, we get a sense that God is, did you remember what John said? God is love. Well, what does that even mean? But I, I bet, I would bet everything that there are people beyond us outside these walls that haven't even stepped foot in church for a long time because their version of who God is is not the one that says God is love. For them, God has let them down. Or God is represented by the people in their, in their sphere of influence that say they're Christian and act anything but. Which brings me to the story about a wedding. And this one's... Um, it involves someone that I'm still friends with. I am almost positive they'll never, ever watch this sermon. I think I can tell the story. So if you know who this is, you don't get to tell them. Just kidding. No one, any of you know. Anyway, so uh, I, this, this person I've been in a relationship with for a long, long, long time. Um, ever since that person was in elementary school, I knew them. I was their youth pastor, grew up. And then a number of years ago, he had the audacity to want to get married. Like, people are just wanting to get married out there. And so um, sometimes when you're, like, in my, my field of work, like, as pastors, people were like, hey, I'm getting married. Would you like to do it? We're like, sounds amazing. I love being a part of weddings. So much fun to see that happen. Um, and so I had not seen this person for a while. He had moved out of state. I knew the person he was going to marry is going to be amazing. And he's like, hey, can we meet? Because I have a question for you, which I always know. It's like, oh, it's the question. Can you do our ceremony? So we decided to meet somewhere here in Old Town Orange and uh, went to a restaurant. We sit down, he and his fiancée, and he pitches the question. And I knew it was coming because I knew some of the groomsmen, and they were going to tell me. They already told me. He's going to ask you. So we sit down. We have this, this, this lunch. And he says, hey, Brenton, you've been in my life for a while. Um, we're going to get married, and we want you to do the ceremony. Um, but we do not want you to mention God at all. And like in this moment, trying to quicken my mind to how in the world I'm going to answer this. And he knew I was asking a lot, that he was asking a lot. And he said, I want you to take some time and think about it. But God has let me down so much. And God is not a part of our relationship as a couple that when we say our vows to one another, we don't want God in it at all. And so it changed, like, how I ate my entree that day. 
Because you're like, I don't even, what am I supposed to say? Like, I'm a pastor. What am I supposed to do? But I appreciated the gift of time that I was given to be able to respond. And so I left that lunch and just racked my mind. I was at a loss. I didn't know the right answer. Because for some, you're like, oh, you got to stand your ground. You got to show them what you're made of. You got to push back. When you say you're a pastor and you get to talk about God, if anybody gets to talk about God, you get to talk about God. And you're like, that's true. I can take that route. But then I've also been so struck with this concept that I want to have the ability for relationship for the long haul with people. That if they don't believe what I believe today, that there might be a day coming that they do. And if I break relationship because I want to be right, oh, what should I do? And so I decided to say yes to this wedding. And I knew my hands were going to be tied because he had been very clear. So I began to think, well, I've done weddings before. I've got to work through a typical wedding ceremony. What are the parts that I include God in, which is an interesting one. Um, I mean, theologically, I know that God was there, even though they didn't want me to talk about him, right? Then you're like, well, you can't pray, because praying is this conversation that we do publicly, sometimes privately, but mostly publicly, where we let people know that we're talking to God. We do it here at church. You've already heard me do it today. But what do I do in this wedding ceremony? Because for me, weddings are not just about two people saying yes. It really is about two people recognizing how God has brought them together. And you want to point those things out. You're like, there's no way that we would get here without some way of how God has been a part of that. So one of the groomsmen is like, what are you going to do, Brenton? I'm like, shut up. Give me time. I've got to figure this one out. But I loved the groom so much, and still do, that I said I wanted to do it. And probably some of you are wondering, was I a sellout that day? Did I sell out my role? Aren't I supposed to be the Christian that gets to show up and just be like, drop the Jesus bomb or the God bomb and walk away? And I could have, and even the groomsmen that I knew who knew what was going on was like, how are you going to sneak it in? I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, I know you're going to do something. What are you going to do? And I'm like, I'm working on it, okay? So we get to this wedding ceremony, and I know exactly what to do. Because of this passage in 1 John. Because when John says more than once that God is love, I knew what I had. I had the equation that I needed for this ceremony. So the places in a wedding ceremony when I would typically talk about God, I would talk about love. And I, I made clear that they knew. No, no, I'm just kidding. I didn't. Um, but I wanted to be so subtle with my approach to this because I wanted them to have the light bulbs go off in their mind. 
that we can talk about God and we can be like, well, I believe this. And what do you believe? And then we can have an argument about it. That seems like what the world is really good at. We're good at argument. But sometimes we're not really good at the gentleness that John speaks of in this passage where he is giving us the imperative that because God has loved us, we also must love one another. And it's not just one another's who come to church. It's actually one another's who are out there. It's the people that we don't know that well. It's the people that come to you and say, well, you do a wedding ceremony, and we don't want you to mention God at all. And so I went through the wedding ceremony, and I in, inputted the, the word love everywhere that I typically would say God. And you're like, oh, you're just getting around it. You're like, yeah, I was. Because I want to love the groom so much with the hope that one day we will get to a place where I will see the transformation take place in his soul, in his mind, and in his life. But I wanted to proclaim who God was, and I did it as subtly as I could. And I got to admit, sometimes Christians need to revisit the art of subtlety to invite people back into conversations. Because that's what my friend Preston does with this Doubters Club thing that he started years ago. He's really good at making sure that we never shut down conversation. But we're really good at shutting down conversation in the world that we have created, in the society that we live in right now. We say things like, well, if they don't believe like me, I'm done. And that could be about everything. That can be about vaccinations. That can be about masks. That can be about politics. That can be about right and wrong. But my question is, for all of us, what are we willing to do to showcase the love that God has? Because apparently, when we get to this passage, when we get towards the end, go to verse 19, we love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. That one is cutting to me. There have been people that I have written off. I have pushed them outside of my circle because I don't like the way that they talk. I don't like the things that they do. I don't like the things that they believe. And then I'm hit between the head. This passage that says, if I claim to love God on the one hand, and I can't see how to love my brother or sister, then apparently I'm a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they see, who they have seen, cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. That's hard. And this goes beyond our family relationships. This goes beyond our church relationships. This is the people out there. This is the people beyond us in our lives that we sometimes struggle with. And God is saying, how will you love them so they know who I am? Oh, that's so hard. Because we can easily write this thing down and be like, ah, he just said brother and sister in this passage. I'm just going to do it for the people that I'm in, in relationship with. But do you remember that story that Jesus told about who is my brother and my sister? And he expanded the boundaries of that and reminded us that the people we are to love goes far beyond the people that we have relationship with and friendship with and love for already. If we stop at loving the people who are already in, there is no hope for the people who have yet to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. And so for you and for me, 
when we come across this passage, we need to tell the world how good God is. And sometimes we don't even need to use his name. But we need to show the love of God for this world. We need to remind them that he actually does love them. So for you and for me, when we leave this place, we have a tall order this week and actually every week. How is it that we show this love that God has given us? And remember, we don't love the world because we want God to love us more. Right? That's sometimes a, a mixed message that we give to kids as they're growing up. You're like, well, if you, you, know, if you do really good work, then you're going to get the A. Or if you do really good work, then you get to pass and you get to move on to the next level. We don't love people so that God loves us more. We actually love people because God has already loved us. If he is a self-giving, self-sacrificing God, so much so that he will send his son, which we celebrated five weeks ago at Easter Sunday, and the cross is empty, the grave is empty, this world that we live in gets to know the love of God. And the only way to do it for you and me to be a part of that. How do we love this world? Sometimes it's hard. How do we love the people that God has put in our lives? Sometimes that is so hard. But if we are willing to sacrifice our agenda, our preconceived notions, the things that we have already locked up to perhaps proclaim who God is yet again. Oh, that's a sweet, sweet place to be. Because this world is desperate for him. So may this week and every week beyond be opportunities for us to show him off. Let's pray. God, you have um, amazed us and challenged us yet again. There's not a week that goes by that we don't open up your scriptures and your word and come come to a realization that we have not done it as well as we could. And so, God, we're not here to earn your favor because we already know that we have earned your love. You have proclaimed who we are, just like John said, beloved. We are your beloved. We are the ones that you have made for this world. We, as, quote, insiders, want to make sure that we showcase your love Help us to love better this week. Help us to show the world what you're made of through our actions and through our words. In the moments where we're challenged, help us to know that you can even work in the midst of that challenge. That can, you can use us to change the stories of all the people around us. Oh God, how we need you this week need you to be with us wherever we go, wherever our feet land. May we be pockets of good news and love to this world that you love deeply. It's in your name we pray. Amen. I want to invite you to stand and worship with our worship team one final time this morning. Thank you for joining us this week. We believe in community and would love to connect with you. If you have any questions or would like to speak to a pastor, feel free to reach out to us on Instagram at RefugeChurchOC. We hope to see you again soon.